Father, we thank you for the opportunities that you give us this day to worship. Those who are at home as well, tending uh, to worship and, and where they are, we thank you for each one that tunes in each and every week, wherever they are. And we just pray for all of us uh, that, you, that we would all feel your presence and feel your love and feel your grace. But more importantly, that we recognize that you as Lord and Savior and Father of our life. And we just worship you today, honoring you in spirit and in truth and honoring you as the great God that you are. We just want to say we love you and uh, we, we relish in the fact that we are, are your children and you are our Father. In your name that we pray. Amen.
beautiful i trust that that's that's a reminder to you how good god's grace is and that tune kind of just uh, uh resonates within you doesn't it and uh and that's what god does for us the peaceful easy feeling you know today is a message that uh, is a message that i had developed many many months ago based on the fact of the communication that I've had with several people. And it is when you meet people in life, one of two things is happening in the heart. They feel as if they are loved and they're cared for, or they feel that they're not a person of worth. And every person we meet is one of those two people. And people are crying out to know that they matter. That their presence on the face of this earth matters. That their life itself matters. That if they were missing for 24 hours, the world would get upset. That they, they, they need to know that they are cared for. And when you meet people that feel as if no one cares. You and I have a challenge in ministry to embrace them and to say to them, if I've got to give up everything I have in my life to make you feel that you are loved, I'll do it. People are desperate to know 
that they matter. And this message is about one person who didn't matter to the world, but mattered to Jesus. And it's found in Luke chapter 8, verse 26 through 39. And the message title is, The Difference Jesus Makes. The Difference Jesus Makes. And in Luke chapter 8, we'll look at that together. You may want to mark it for a future reference. But in verse 26, it begins, And then they sailed to the region of Genericenes, which is opposite of Galilee, which he got out on land. A demon-possessed man from the town met him. For a long time he had worn no clothes and did not stay in a house but in the tombs. You catch that? Did not stay in a house but stayed in a tomb. Now this is a person of no worth. This is a person that does not matter. This is a person who has been forgotten. This is a person who no one wants to be around, living in the tombs. And when he saw Jesus, he cried out, fell down before him, and said in a loud voice, what do you have to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, don't torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man Many times it had seized him, and although he was guarded, bound by chains and shackles, he would snap the restraints and be driven by the demon into deserted places. What is your name, Jesus asked him. Legion, he said, because many demons had entered him, and they begged him not to banish them, plural, them, to the abyss. A large herd of pigs was there feeding on the hillside. The demons begged him to permit them to enter the pigs, and he gave them permission. The demons came out of the man, entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. When the men who tended them saw what had happened, they ran off and reported to their town and to the countryside. Then people went out to see what had happened. They came to Jesus and found the man, the demons had departed him, departed from him, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed in dressed and in his right mind. You notice what happened. He went from a person of no worth to the person of great value. And they were afraid. Meanwhile, the eyewitnesses reported to them how the demon-possessed man was delivered. Then all the people of Genericenes, the region, asked him to leave them because they had, were gripped by great fear. So getting into the boat, he returned. Now this is a powerful passage of Scripture. It's not just a miracle of what Jesus did to heal someone's life. Now that's great in itself. That's powerful. That's, that's just majestic. And it, it brings awe to all those who are watching and even us who record it and are reading what's been recorded. But it's more than that. It is seeing that a person has no value 
and has been elevated to the status that that person matters to God. And that person is so important that Jesus stops his ministry with everyone else and focuses on that one individual. And yet today, if you have that sense of feeling that it's not a peaceful, easy feeling within you, you have a sense of feeling within you and emotions that you don't matter, that your life has no importance or you have no purpose or you have no meaning or no one cares, I, I beg to differ. There are people in your life who do care. There are people around you who love you. There are people around you who, who see you as worth and more importantly, every person God sees as worth and they matter to him. You can look at all the parables. You can look at all the miracles and you'll find that to be the case from the woman at the well to the woman who uh, had the bleeding issue to the, the, the family whose uh, daughter had died to Lazarus who was in a tomb that died to the sisters who were weeping in grief. You can see one right after another where Jesus cared for every person and everyone that he, he ministered to knew that and became a powerful missionary for him in their known world. So it just could be that the extension of our hand and the grip of, of our hug around someone's neck or the phone call or the time we take or the meal we use to go out and, and treat them, whatever it is, the, the gifts that we give them, the time we give them might just be the moment that says to them, finally, Someone cares about me, and I matter to them. Jesus Christ saw worth in every person that he met. Jesus sees anyone as a person of worth, without a doubt. The demonic of Gadara or Genericenes may have been outwardly and, and most impossible, a, an impossible case that, that anyone has ever met on the face of the earth. But the one in this story is a man that had nothing in his outward, outward appearance to indicate that he was valuable. He did not have worth in the eyes of his family. He did not have worth in the eyes of his neighbors. They were probably relieved to know that he had moved out of town and was living among the dead. That's basically what it means. He was living in the shadows of death. He was walking through his valley of death. He was there where no, if he died, no one would smell him, see him, or hear him as he died. And it was good for those around him to know that he was removed from them. He surely did not have worth in his own eyes. He seemed to be firmly bent towards self-destruction himself. Yet Jesus saw him as a person of worth because Jesus sees any person is as worth to him. And you and I must do the same. Do you know someone in your own life who has that sense of feeling? Do you know someone in, in, your, in your life that a person is struggling with, with, with rising above their, their self-image of, of who they are? We've got a challenge on our hands, I know. And you and I do not have the power to change that. But the Christ that lives within us 
has the power to change that. And you and I can make a difference in a person's life because we believe that Jesus can make the difference in anyone's life. If you feel that way about yourself, you are a person of worth. What Jesus did for the demonic, he can do for you and me. The difference that Jesus can make. Let me give you a couple of things to think about based on this passage of the difference that Jesus can make. First of all, is that Jesus brings wholeness. It would be interesting to know more about this particular man. Maybe his age, uh, what he looked like. Uh, was he tall? Was he short? Was he large? Was he skinny? It'd be, it would be nice to know a little bit more of, you know, was he nice to look at or was he, you know, something that you turned your head from because of scars or, or bumps or whatever it is? You know, what, what, it'd be nice to know a little bit more about the statue of this man, but we don't know. Where did this downward slide begin in his life? How long was he facing all of this worthlessness? How long had he lived amongst the tombs? Yet we, we ask, and how did, how did he come to be possessed in the first place? Was he playing with the Ouija board? No, I'm just kidding. How did it happen? When did it happen? What was he doing? Was he at a McDonald's getting in line to get a fish sandwich and some fries? <laughs> what happened to him? When did it happen? It would be nice to know a little bit more details, just for the curiosity's sake. Jesus didn't concern himself, though, about how this man was possessed, how long this man had been possessed. He was not concerned with how he looked. He was not concerned of where he was. He was not concerned of his family situation. All he was concerned with is to look into the eyes of this man and say, I love you. I care for you. You matter to me. And that's all that mattered because Jesus knew that he had the power over sin, hell, the grave, and the legion. That was before him. Jesus knew that he was about to do something for this man that was going to bring him value. That was going to say to him when he looked into the mirror, I matter. Someone cared enough about me to stop their life and minister to me and let me see life all over again. Someone cared enough about me to bring me out of the tombs and into real life. The evil spirits in this man resisted the approach that he, but he cried aloud to Jesus. He says, what have I, what, what are you going to do with me? It's interesting. The man, his worth was so bad that he realized that Jesus had the power to destroy his human life, even though he had been possessed. And he made, he's looking at his life and he's saying, Man, the one person that finally took time to look at me and to pay me attention, I'm asking you now, what are you going to do with me? I don't think he was asking, what are you going to do with me so that I can live life? He was asking, what are you going to do with me so that I may die? His worth was nothing. He was down, reduced down to where no one cared. 
the hostile spirits that were within him had almost destroyed him physically, mentally, emotionally, and obviously spiritually. And the method of Jesus was to demand that the legion come out, the legions come out of this man. And in the process, Jesus demanded them to acknowledge their identity. And he demanded, what is your name? He wasn't asking the man who was possessed. He was asking that which was within him. What is your name? And they said legion, because legion is plural for evil spirits. And many demons had entered him. The demonstrative way in which the demons finally left the man bothers many people today. In a politically correct, correct stupid society that we live in, excuse my expression, and being so conscientious of hurting someone else's feelings because of being politically correct, obviously as a problem with Jesus who killed a herd of pig. But, for, but my friend, Jesus is more concerned with the people than he is the herd. And yet what he did was simply the indication that Jesus placed more value on the man than he did the herd of pigs. Human personality is the thing of supreme value to Jesus. It may have also been a visible thing to be help to this poor victim. And Jesus brings wholeness to this man. And that's what you and I have. When you and I meet that person and we grab them by the hand or we spend time with them or we take the time and, and call them, spend time with them, and if we lift, we elevate them to a person of worth, we are providing wholeness back into them. You'll never know when the door is shut and you leave them by themselves in their home after showing love to them what they'll be able to do with themselves after we leave their presence. It may just be that they'll for the first time look into the mirror and say, she cared about me so much that she gave up her whole day or he cared about me so much that he gave up his whole day to let me know that I matter. That's powerful. In the sea in which everyone is drowning emotionally, we have the opportunity to infuse life and bring oxygen to those who are drowning. We have the opportunity to be visibly seen in someone's life and to reach them. I remember years ago, uh, a gentleman at our church in Dallas, Texas had uh, contracted AIDS. Unfortunately, he was a gigolo and I'm not going into details of what that means, but he had contracted AIDS as a result of his lifestyle. And he was a very predominant man and a very decent-looking man. Um, at one time, was just as spry as anyone else. And during the latter part of his days, he got to the point when we were learning in the late 1980s and the early 1990s, we were not sure if AIDS could be um, passed on by being in close contact with someone. And so even in our church, you would, you would see him much like a leper. You know, you could see him being treated kind of like that. 
that if he went into a nursery where children were, a whole can of Lysol would be sprayed after he left. You know what I mean? And he knew that. Times when he had fever or the bumps had popped all over his face, which is one of those signs of AIDS when it's in the latter stages. The pastor then, and I was just working as an apprentice to the pastor while I was in seminary, had to have the un, uncomfortable thing of saying to him, when you're sick and you look like you look today, we need you to stay home. And it was during those times, and the man was winter, will, withering away. Renee and I didn't have much money. We, we lived, we literally lived paycheck to paycheck in seminary. And we just felt, you know, we need, we need to do something for him. So we took him out to lunch one day. And we couldn't afford anything, so we just, we just said, hey, can we just go to a fast food restaurant? And we went to a Burger King, and we sat down, and, and, and we fed him, and we had conversation. And then we drew, drove him back to his apartment that he was staying at because he was with us, obviously, after church. And when we left him, both Renee and I reached out to hug him. You would have thought, you would have thought that we just bought him a mansion. And he said, you know, that's the first hug I've had in over a year. No one wants to be around me. A couple months later, he died, and he died alone. They found him two days after his death laying in his floor. And because no one checked on him and no one cared, People need to know they are valuable, that they matter. And Jesus teaches by example what to do when someone is living in the tombs, so to speak, and they're not welcomed in their own, within their own family. So Jesus does what he so powerfully does, breathes life, and he brings to each and every person such a peaceful, easy feeling in their life. Destructive powers that bind us are not impossible for Jesus to let us loose. There may be within you and I emotions that you and I can no longer control. They may have control of us, but Jesus is able to set us free He's stronger than anything that may have control in our own lives. So Jesus brings wholeness. Jesus makes the difference. And second of all, Jesus enables self-control. When Jesus met the man, he was not in control of any part of his life. Everything around him dictated to him because of the evil power that was within his life. Can you imagine what this did for this man's feelings about himself? He must have been filled with self-hate, and but in the end, the man is found sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. So it gives you the indication. He is so valueless to society, living in the tombs, almost or possibly completely naked, and no one takes notice. No value. No one cares. 
But Jesus brings wholeness and he enables him to be under self-control. In his right mind, the scripture says, is the term that we must consider and has two ideas. One is that there had been an element of insanity in this man's life and that Jesus corrected the insanity. And we must remember that there is an element of insanity in all of us because of sin in our own life. Think about it. The person who commits sin is never acting wisely in his or her own interest, best interest. In a sense, sin makes us a little insane. <laughs> and they, they act, and, and that can act in a way of destruction in our own lives because it separates us from God, the power of God. The other idea is the word is, is to think of it as in his right mind being sober-minded. The scripture speaks of that in several occasions to, to exercise self-control. Paul declares that the Lord does not give us a spirit of fear, but he gives us a spirit of love and power and sound mind, sober-mindedness. It's the same word where Jesus says, I give you your right mind to this man an ability to see things in a proper perspective and to conduct our affairs accordingly based on what he gives us. Self-control is so important in all of our lives. We, we deal with that. We all have that, you know. You stump your toe and you almost say something or you may say something out loud you didn't say ever in your life, <laughs> you know. You got to practice self-control. Or when someone cuts you off on the road and, and kind of angers you or, or lays on the horn and lets you know that, that you're not moving fast enough, those sorts of things, you know, you have to practice self-control to some extent. Maybe you're in trouble at work or at home or somewhere else and nothing seems right in your life and yet you have to control that before you go the, uh, you, you tip, tip over the edge. But Jesus provides self-control. That's the difference that Jesus makes in a person's life. Number three is that Jesus empowers healthy relationships. And this is the part that breaks my heart, but yet brings joy to my heart at the same time. The man had no healthy relationship, none. He had no healthy relationship, not even with himself. And he's just living out there in the midst of the tombs and the hard life he was living. And Jesus found the man and he gave him one meaningful relationship. And we know that it was a relationship that no one had at that moment but this man because they looked at him and saw him sitting at the feet of Jesus clothed and in his right mind, enjoying a healthy relationship with Jesus. He was separated from his family. He was separated from his friends. He was separated from God. His lonely life in the tombs was symbolic of his entire lifespan. And when evil possessed this man, he suffered in all the relationships of life and Jesus changed those relationships. You see, that's what happens when you are giving a sentence that is a, a, of news to your life that's, that's totally devastating, what are you going to do? Are you going to depend on that one relationship who lives with you or are you going to live, depend on that relationship who wants to live within you? It's a great difference. 
While this man's first reaction to Jesus was that of fear and rejection, the last word is different. The crowds find this man sitting at his feet. It's nothing in Scripture says that the man was distracted and thought, wow, I got an audience. I haven't had an audience in my life in many, many years. And people are getting closer to me that I have never experienced in many, many years. But his focus was not on the crowds looking in. His focus was on the most important relationship, and it was Jesus. That's what happens to a lost soul who is searching for meaning and purpose and value and worth. Jesus brings wholeness. Jesus enables self-control. And Jesus empowers healthy relationships. We may have mistakenly understood that, that all Jesus does is save us from our sin and take us to heaven when we die. This is true, but it involves the abundant life in between. You know, we, can, we know when our born-again date was, and, and we're going to know when our death date is. But Jesus brings value to the dash, that which is in between life and death. And that's where he focuses on. And this man is changing his dash. <laughs> He's changing his life. He's given him meaningful relationships. I would surely agree that Jesus Christ gives to this man not only meaningful relationship, but he gave him self-esteem. Essential for the building of healthy relationships in his own life as well as the relationship with himself. He must have had a profound difference in his thinking about himself when he realized that Jesus tr truly counted him as a person of worth. The man must have concluded that the evil in him made him no value and the power now before him is giving him life and value. And that's what Jesus does. You see, Jesus had, had done what, what no one else could do. And Jesus took the time, first of all, to seek him out and find him. And he gave him a healthy do-over. And so this is where, where we are in life. Our ministry could be, if you're searching for purpose and you're searching for meaning and you're searching for something to do for the kingdom of God, be about healthy do-overs in people's lives. Be a person who says, you know, you are a project to me. <laughs> and I, I'm not gonna let, you don't wanna say that to them, but you say it to yourself. You are a project to me and I'm gonna, I'm gonna give all my attention to a healthy do-over. I'm going to take you from the inside out and I'm going to try to prime you to where you should be in life. And you know that can happen because of that which is within you. And it's the power of God at work over doing work in that person's life. Could this be where we are today to answer that challenge? To go to the extreme and help someone in relationships of life person's life may be void of healthy human relationships, but Jesus wants to make you and I 
a person of ministry or make you and I a person that can both give love and receive love. Fourth and last is that Jesus makes life useful. Jesus knew that this man needed something to make him useful. This was more important that, that this man being allowed to continue in fellowship. Do you know, you remember what happened in the story that we read? Jesus told him to go home, go find his family and embrace them and let them know that the power of God is within him now and the legions and the evil spirits that was within him has been overpowered and commanded by the Spirit of God. And he went home. He became a missionary. <laughs> he went home. He became a missionary to his own family. I'm sure when he, if, if they had one of those doorbells that they could see him coming, I could see them all gathering around the computer just looking and say, is, is, is it really true? Is that him coming? <laughs> he, the last time I heard, he was dead to us. Ding dong. <laughs> and he walks in and he gives them life. He returns to his own house and he went there to tell them the great things that God had done for him. And I'm sure he was probably saying, you know, and if he could do that for me, <laughs> he can do it for you. That he can change our whole complexion of our family and our family can be a family that's not only whole and full of self-control and a healthy relationship, but a family that can be used on the, in the kingdom of God. You see, Jesus gives to each person a spiritual gift as we talked about last week. And he gives a, a meaningful and useful place for everybody in the body of Christ. And when the church is functioning like it should, every member will have a sense of being needed. And they will feel that the church would not be complete without them. Every life is important. It does break my heart from time to time as a pastor where I hear people say to me, Pastor, I just don't feel needed anymore in the church. And I've decided to move to another congregation or another, another place because I just don't feel it. It happens. We know that. But it's not, could it, could it possibly be that, that I have contributed to their feeling? Maybe I didn't let them know how important they were. Or maybe you or someone else. People need to know that they're needed and useful. And just looking into their eyes, just letting them know you are valued. And if you were not in my life, my life would not be complete. That's how important we've got to communicate to that person. Do you feel a need for what Jesus did for this man? Those who are listening at home, do you... Do you feel a need for what Jesus did for this man? Do you feel a need for freedom from the things that bind you? Do you feel a need for the right mind, the self-control? Do you feel the need for healthy relationships in your life? Do you feel the need for your life to be made useful? Then there's hope. If that's a question in your life, there's hope. Jesus 
the Christ has not changed. The same Christ who dealt with this demon-possessed man is the same Christ before you in your heart today. He still makes this kind of difference in the lives of those who truly receive him as Lord of their life. And this man received him as Lord, not because he had given him uh, release from the demons, but because Jesus said, you matter to me. You matter so much that I want to bring wholeness in your life. Would you express to Jesus your desire for Christ to do this in your life? He will hear your cry because he will make the difference in your life and give you the freedom of that desire that you have by calling out to him. I'm so thankful that Jesus loves me. This I know because the Bible tells me so. I'm so thankful that Jesus cares so much that he can rain down on me the, the healing that needs to happen. And that's what happened to this man. Sitting there in the desolate and deserted place of his life, Jesus rained down healing upon him and brought to him life, usefulness, and help. So if you're looking for a ministry, Look for the people who live in the tombs, so to speak. Look for the people who are distant. Look for the people who are hurting. Look for the people who, who have no family caring for them. Look for the people around you who are crying out, I need love. And make it your ambition, your goal, and your desire to uproot those feelings of their life and to work on bringing a healthy do-over in all aspects of their life. And watch what happens when they finally look back at you and say, thank you for caring when no one else cared, for doing when no one else wanted to do, to being there when no one else was there. And you'll realize then how much of God's beautiful healing reign fell upon them. God's a good God. He knows more about the people we meet than we do. He knows more about us than we know about ourselves. And he can do amazing things if we'll say, God, use me. Here am I, use me. Father, we thank you that you give us this day the beauty of being able to be reminded that all of us in this very place, all of us listening in, all of us around where we are, the people who are our neighbors beside us, in front of us, around us, the people we meet on an everyday basis, the people we travel with, the people we see in other states, the family that we haven't seen in months or even a year, every one of them matter and they have worth. Father, thank you for reminding us of the value of human life. Thank you for reminding us of the value that, that one person matters and we matter to you. Thank you, Father, for taking the time ministering to each of us 
and allowing us to sit preciously at your feet, to recognize you as Lord, to recognize you as Savior, to know that we have personal relationship with an awesome God. The same God who stood at the burning bush with Moses is the same God who is right there in my life today. Thank you, God, that you are a God who wants to have relationship with each of us and with me and with ones listening, those around us and every person we meet. Father, thank you for bringing and providing life as it's meant to be. We thank you, we love you, we worship you, we honor you, and we praise you. In your name that we pray, amen. Let him stand. 